Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm good, Jody. How are you? I'm good too. So, is Bar also there with you? Uh, he is here, but he's in a different room. He's actually on another. Okay. Call. Okay. Perfect. So we'll do it too. So, hello, everyone. I'm Jyoti Ranjan, and you are listening to the People's History Podcast. And today we have with us Sarah Marasco, who is from Rhode Island and Israel. So, Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself? How are you, by the way? I'm doing good. I'm surviving one day at a time, as we all are. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we all are. Um, I am originally from Rhode Island. I grew up there. Um, attended Catholic high schools, and then decided to come to Israel to obtain um, my undergraduate degree in modern Jewish and Israeli history, as well as Middle Eastern studies, and followed that with my master's degree. in security and diplomacy at Tel Aviv University as well. Uh, so that is great but yeah could you tell us something about your early days in life like what are you doing these days and what are you up to and how come you ended up in Israel? Um okay so a lot of questions there. Um I came to Israel just because I realized I, there was a lot to understand um, about this country and the complex political nature. Um, so I decided to come and learn about it firsthand uh, and haven't left since. Um, it's just been a very interesting situation um, and interesting topic to study. Right now, things are very crazy. I was working as a professor actually um, for American students and unfortunately, Uh, their semester abroad got cut short and had to return to America. And um, now I'm unemployed, like a lot of Israelis in this situation. Um, things are a little bit tough, of even if I wanted to go to America right now, um, I'm pretty sure I couldn't find a flight. Um, but to be honest, I'm happy to be in Israel. Of, it's one of the best countries in this, um, going through this. Um, of in terms of response and the ability to actually try to contain the virus. Obviously, it's not up there with uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and uh, Singapore, but it's doing a good job. <laughs> it's trying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's doing a good so, job. Yeah. So, guys, everyone here. So, Sarah is an old friend of mine, and uh, she, as she said, she finished a master's from Tel Aviv University, and right. Uh, hey, by the way, I didn't know that you were in the, you were a professor. Where was it? And uh, how was it? Amazing. I'm, and congratulations for being a, in a teaching job. That is, it must have been amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, right up the road in Hadesharon. I was teaching biology and uh, world history. Um, mm. It was a lot of fun, but, you know, crazy times, crazy situations. Yeah. At least they were able to get home safely. Um, yeah. But yeah, things here, you know, are a little bit right now. A lot of people are just kind of waiting. Uh, we just finished the holiday of Passover last night. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot to wish you. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. tonight they have generally the end of Passover is um, another holiday called Maimuna. And it's a very sweet holiday where traditionally um, the Arab uh, population or Muslim population would bring sweets over to the Jews, uh, where the Jews, of course, can now eat leavened bread again. 
So it's a party mm. of where you eat a lot of Arabic pastries, honey, and oil, and it's a lot of fun with a lot of uh, traditional Arabic dancing and music. Unfortunately, that didn't happen last night. Uh, the state actually set down a um, a whole lockdown for the nation starting at five o'clock last night to ensure that no one was traveling to their families to celebrate. But uh, we did the best we could. So that was an interesting event. Mm. And right now with all the coronavirus thing going on, so do you get to step out of the house or you are totally indoors 24 seven, seven days a week? Yeah, you're allowed outside up to 100 meters from your house. However, that's not very far. You're also allowed to go out to purchase um, essential items, such as, you know, food, medicine, um, etc. However, that's about it. Um, the police here are very stringent of they will stop you and ask you, you know, to show them your ID to show, to prove that you do live in the area. Um, but at least we are out, allowed out for brief periods of time. So that's still nice. Um, a lot of Israelis are trying to go secretly to the beach. Uh, <laughs> and it is very tempting. I live very close. So every day yeah. I look out and I can see it and it's like, I just want to go. Um, but there's been some harsh repercussions. There's a lot of people who have been receiving uh, hefty fines for about $250 if they are caught going to the beach. Um, so. Movement is definitely restricted. That's but almost. We're allowed out. That's almost a quarter of from the monthly home rent, two fifty dollars. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, but um, we're surviving. There's no eggs. If yeah. Interesting. We have mm. uh, we had the world's biggest Easter egg hunt in Israel on Sunday, mm. of where Israelis were searching for eggs. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're just out of the store it's due to you know overbuying of course but it was interesting to see a lot of uh, a lot of people searching for eggs on Easter that are actually Jewish and not Christian so I found that I wanted uh, yeah yeah and given that it's Easter <laughs> exactly on Easter Sunday but um, yeah. it's interesting <laughs> to say the least but <laughs> <laughs> and so right now given that you are in lockdown <laughs> how is the overall infrastructure situation has the electric grid or uh, the logistical system the supply chains are they functioning pretty well like the supermarkets are getting squeezed up in time and all that's pretty well it's been handled well um overall yes again we had just had the crisis with the eggs um, hmm. due to just people out of fear buying too many. Yeah, I guess in America, people bought too much toilet paper. In Israel, we cared about the eggs. Um, priorities, I guess. But overall, the supply chain is very well. Um, I have to give credit to the local stores and establishments of putting their own precautions of even before the state mandated it. Um, some grocery stores that only, <clears throat> excuse me, would only allow two people in the store at a time. Uh, they would be passing out gloves for anyone who entered the store as well as hand sanitizer and really, um, you know, try to enforce social distancing mechanisms. Even in um, one of the stores here, the local chains 
has taken to taking your temperature um, before you're allowed to enter the store. So I have to give credit to a lot of local industries doing their part to keep everyone safe and slow the curve. Um, but overall, food has been very well managed and stocked. Uh, I guess it's one of the benefits of living in a country that's always prepared for war is that there's a lot of food reserves and emergency preparations yeah. always in place. Um, so even though this isn't exactly a war, uh, there's already been a lot of you know, emergency preparations that have been in place since, you know, the establishment of the state of Israel. Um, so I have to say we're pretty lucky in that. Yeah, fully agree with you on that. The level of preparedness has always been high and even in such situations where it's more of a health and biological emergency, the state has handled it because of those warlike preparations they had made earlier and all that reserve can be utilized. Exactly. And also, too, just the mentality of the Israeli people of, you know, they don't freak out as much. It's almost like, you know, just another war, just another emergency of where everyone's kind of willing to do their part and stay home and really listen to the government. Uh, although that being said, we have had some founders with uh, the president of Israel, uh, Rivlin, as well as Prime Minister Netanyahu, um, ordering you know the lockdown for Passover and no one to celebrate the Passover meal, the Seder, with their families. However, both of them were shown on videos with their children. Um, with them violating the quarantine orders so that's been a little bit um, problematic here but overall the Israeli public has been pretty willing to embrace it uh, and it you know unfortunately adjust to the situation I would say so Sarah how long have you lived in Israel overall I have lived for like how many years I moved to Israel um, officially in 2013, so it's been quite a long time now. Um, again, I was mostly just getting my degrees, and then uh, now I've just been searching, you know, for gainful employment with think tanks and other uh, organizations to get involved with. Uh, but it's been a fun time. I mean, I have to say, I spent most of my entire adult life in Israel. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah, so could you tell us, like, when you first came to Israel, what were the things that shocked you? And regarding this corona pandemic, have you seen anything like this in Israel's past seven years that you have spent in Israel? Well, let's say a small Gaza war or Operation Castlet or anything. Yeah that you felt was as much as this corona thing? I mean, definitely not to this extent of the state of emergency that you feel. However, um, it is similar to, you know, those operations where you feel a sense of solidarity with your neighbors here. And you know that, you know, if anything were to happen, if you had an emergency or if you were out of food, you could definitely just knock on the door and somebody would help you. Just as under those operations yeah. or um, most recently, there was the knife intifada. You knew that if you knocked on the door of anyone asking for help, no matter the situation, people would be there for you. Um, so I have to say that's that's a good feeling. Um, and that's kind of reminding me of it. I would say that's also shocking to me 
was that sense of solidarity and um, compassion for, you know, one another and the entire population was something that shocked me moving from America, not saying that it's absent in America, but it's just shown differently. And I don't think the sense of social unity is as strong um, in America. I felt that, you know, if something goes wrong in America and you're running down the street, not a lot of people are gonna instantly turn around and say, what can I do to help? Um, which is a feeling I do have here in Israel. Um, so that's definitely been shocking. Um, also too, the sense of, you know, pandemic and fear here is a lot um, different than in America. Here it's okay, we're braced for this. It's just another crazy thing that we Israelis go through, bunker down and it'll be okay. Where in America, I think there's a lot more fears of um, looting and people going crazy in stores and overbuying and pushing people out of the way to get items. Um, you don't feel that as much here. You feel that everyone's, you know, feels that we're all in this together. Okay. You know, you see on um, balconies, people here are doing performances for their neighbors, um, you know, bringing out their guitar, which you see all over the world. But here it's almost a daily occurrence in Tel Aviv where you hear at least one person playing their instrument out loud for everyone to hear on their balcony or, you know, uh, I've actually gotten quite close with my neighbors in our backyard of talking over the fences. Um, so that's something, you know, I've really seen the country pull together in that regard. And I don't think that's exactly the same thing as what's been going on in my um, hometown of Rhode Island. I mean, people there are always a little bit more distant to begin with but I think a little bit less creative and a less sense of social unity. Um, I mean, at least that's what I've seen and what I've been hearing from my family back home. So it must be easier to have the social distancing thing in Rhode Island yeah. so that people make a distance and the virus doesn't spread faster. That's true, <laughs> but the same. Uh, that was a very bad Corona it was, joke. It's true, it's true, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> just trying my best to laugh out in such times because I've been also been hunkered down for like almost more than a month because uh, because even when before the government started the lockdown uh, we kind of figured out that we are already into it and my family we just stayed in we just made a house into a how do you say a hard room and we just stayed inside and then reduce the interaction with the outside world so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where all these bad come from <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I saw those videos of people on those rooftops uh, of the high buildings and then there are people on the skyscrapers on the 12 or 20 story buildings and they are all listening to this band who are playing over on the rooftop of a four story building yeah I think it I don't know which neighborhood of Tel Aviv it was but I wouldn't be surprised it was uh, close to uh, Rothschild. I think it must have been somewhere close to that place. Yeah, that makes sense. The Rothschild area, Florentine, they're all, uh, those are areas with a lot of youth and a lot of energy and very funky and creative neighbors. Um, so it's been, mm. it's been interesting here. Of course, that isn't, you know, all of Israel. We, we do have a huge issue with, um, the Haredi or ultra-Orthodox population, um, for multiple reasons of they're kind of insular and they aren't that connected with the outside world. A lot of them don't have TVs in their homes or have a smartphone 
or any type of cell phone. So reaching them and trying to inform them about the coronavirus is quite difficult. And in addition to that, they um, a lot of their practices are very communal, such as there are certain prayers that you can only say in a group of 10 uh, people or more. So their type of lifestyle is very um, more based on social gathering, let's say. Uh, instrumentally is just that's the function and design of their community. So we've been having issues with them, um, with that population. The majority of victims in Israel are um, from that community, either from Jerusalem or the other um, ultra-Orthodox area next to Tel Aviv called B'nai Barak. Um, and that has been a huge problematic issue. Um, and also we've been seeing social tensions, of course, in a time of pandemic, people uh, start pointing the finger at others and start acting a little bit paranoid, but there's been social tensions between um, the the secular community who have been abiding by all the coronavirus rules and then seeing the Haredi community or the ultra-Orthodox not abiding by those rules, either out of ignorance or just, you know, refusal to give up their religious practices that include gathering. Um, so there has been tension on that line. However, it has been reducing and um, it, it's also been interesting to see it affect politics of how those neighborhoods that have the most confirmed uh, cases happen to be orthodox. And the government at first wanted just to shut down, completely lock down those neighborhoods in particular and leave the rest of Israel that seem to be social distancing appropriately and not spreading the virus um, under regular law. However, that was met with a lot of um, a lot of protests from the uh, Orthodox and religious in politics who said that that was discriminatory and that it should be applied to all of Israel, which it then was. Um, but it, it's been interesting also to see that point of uh, tension come into light light of the coronavirus so right now all, with all this going on uh, there's also this triangle right along Israel's borders where West Bank meets the waste mm -hmm. of Israel the place called the triangle from yes. Umar Fahim all the way to Taipei mm -hmm. and all those areas uh, so how are these places they're faring? actually faring very well um, the uh, Muslim population uh, within Israel, the Arab Israelis, uh, seem to be handling it very well, been social distancing, they've been abiding by all the restrictions, and they actually have some of the lowest um, cases, infection rates, rates, exactly. Um, thankfully, also, uh, Israel has been providing training as well as ventilators and medical aid to um, the West Bank and also in Gaza. Uh, Hamas admitted that they did allow some Israeli doctors to go in and to train some of their um, their own doctors and staff in order to help deal with the virus. However, thankfully, it has been um, a very low number of uh, cases in that population. Um, and that also, too, was another point of contention for the lockdown that happened over Passover and also for Maimuna last night was the Arab population said, why should we also be placed under lockdown? We don't even have this holiday going on. 
why should these restrictions apply to us? Um, so that was another another point of contention that we've been dealing with in politics. But thankfully, uh, the Arab segment of society seems to be faring quite well. Has to hear that. And have there any have there been any rocket firings from Gaza in the last two three weeks? Ever since the epidemic, kind of went with full force in Israel. I think when did it actually began in Israel? It must have begun in the March mid, right? Mid weeks of March. Or yeah, something it started like uh, becoming a, into effect. You know, the first or second week of March. Um, there have been a few rockets that came from Gaza. Um, however, it was a very muted response by the IDF. The rockets were quite few in number and they were thankfully destroyed by the Iron Dome. And since that point, we haven't seen um, any action from them. Uh, I think Hamas and the leadership in Gaza have kind of woken up that this crisis affects them as well. Um, and, you know, again, after, since this pandemic happened, there was only one incident of where they send over rockets. Since then, it has been quiet, and I think that they've just, uh, you know, by taking and receiving aid from Israel and also from the World Health Organization and other um, countries, they've realized the severity of the situation and probably have reshifted their focus from trying to, you know, liberate all of Palestine and attack Israel to trying to focus on their own population. Um, so that might be seen as maybe a positive, uh, one of the positive uh, results or effects of Corona, I guess we can say, uh, if we have to look for one. Yeah, I hope uh, even after the pandemic yes. is over, maybe if Gaza can reduce this rocket fire thing and maybe even bring it to an all-time end because if they get habituated to a period but they haven't been firing, it would be just great. It would make, it would make life easier for everyone involved and bring a lot more peace and prosperity for all the nations involved. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, so that's been the situation. They also, uh, the Israeli government hasn't really been trying to provide much assistance to the population in terms of financial aid. Um, they, unfortunately for me, I didn't work at my job for more than six months, so I'm not qualified for unemployment. And a lot of others who are here on work visas don't actually, um, are not actually eligible for unemployment benefits. They have been giving out uh, a 500 shekel uh, subsidy for each child that you have. Um, I have none, which... I don't know in this situation of whether I'm lucky or not uh, to not have a child right now, but they have been giving 500 shekels to um, every family, rich or poor, regardless of their denomination or faith, um, 500 shekels per child. So that is some aid, but it's not much. So the financial situation in Israel is not looking so good at the moment. And a lot of people, as I said, have been unemployed. Um, thankfully, there is a huge high-tech scene here, as many know, of in Tel Aviv. So thankfully, a lot of jobs can be done from home uh, for those who are working in those fields. But 
there's definitely a crisis coming up in the economy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, do you think the Israeli economy would still grow or it might even contract? That is, do you see that in this quarter, the Israeli economy might be negative? That is, it will just shrink rather? Um, I believe that maybe this might, you know, stir some innovation and the tech sector may grow, um, you know, such as developing new masks or vaccines which uh, there's already been two firm, two medical companies in Israel that have been working heavily on um, trying to discover a vaccine for this, as well as, um, you know, another company here in Israel that produces ventilators um, actually released their um, patent for its design so that people can make it for free all over the world. Um, so maybe in some medical industries and tech industries, um, that might grow the financial sector. However, and obviously in other industries, we're going to be facing uh, a huge, a huge contraction. Um, we see too yeah. that construction has been allowed to continue so, here um, nonstop. However, wow. even though this might be seen as an essential business, it's going to be a problem if nobody can actually pay and afford those apartments that they have constructed. Mm. So that the, that the housing oh, that market is, uh, is definitely going to take a hit. Yeah, but I guess some of the people might find the apartments in Tel Aviv a bit open, like they might think of it's, buying houses, right? I mean, we're looking too right now at, uh, you know, keeping our eyes open for after this whole oligoner mess is over maybe yeah. we can find ourselves a really great <clears throat> great apartment at a discounted rate due to this situation yeah i wonder even some places like the eastern parts of Hadzalia and all those places the price the price come a bit down it, it's a good thing it's a good how do i say it? it's not a positive outcome but yeah it's, there's some benefit many of us can buy a house at least yeah. the price come down and yeah. what is it Churchill says yeah. never uh, let a good good catastrophe go to waste <laughs> or something along yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I haven't seen this movie called Margin Call it was about the 2008 uh. financial breakdown of yeah and Lehman Brothers crashing down all that there's this movie called Margin Break. It has Jeremy Irons, uh, Kevin Spacey, and all of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like in that movie, there's this character played by Jeremy Irons who says that, oh, we need to retain good talent and give them promotion and bonuses because that, that they will enable us to make the best of this <laughs> balagan of 2008 crisis. So we need to retain the best talent. And yes, I was like, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the things we also do in this podcast is like we ask people about their past, like how they grew up, how they ended up, and what were the dreams when they were young, and how come what they are doing right now is linked to that. So could you tell us like when you were a young child in US, were you traveling a lot in his, in US or maybe your parents' jobs or as a transferable job, so you saw a lot of the American countryside, a lot of other states apart from Rhode Island, or you lived Actually, primarily in Rhode Island? Um... I didn't really travel that much as a child. I mean, other than just, you know, Florida and um, 
up and down the East Coast. Uh, my first time even, you know, traveling the country and going to the other, uh, the West Coast was when I was 18. Um, and I think that really was what wanted me, uh, or what really inspired me to want to travel. Um, my parents both uh, lived very extreme lives, mostly traveling around the U.S. My father was in uh, the U.S. military, Air Force and Marines, and uh, he traveled all around the world, went to Japan, Australia. He spent a year on an aircraft carrier uh, when he was 18, so that really inspired me to want to travel, even though I didn't have uh, the ability to when I was younger. Um, so when I first was able to leave the country I first came to Israel and was really blown away by it um, and that kind of just kept inspiring me um, and that was one of the moments too is when I first arrived here I realized that although you can read a thousand books on a country and watch a million documentaries um, and follow the news you really there's no way to fully understand a country or its people without physically going there and immersing yourself within that culture um, so that kind of inspired me. Um, there was a lot too, just to learn about all the religions. I was always interested in religion. Um, my father was Catholic, my mother was Jewish, and um, they inspired me to try to find my own faith and become my own person. I went to Catholic high school and you know, was very interested in the Bible. So when I came to Israel, it was like, you know, uh, to use another religious phrase, the Mecca of, uh, <laughs> of oh, yeah. religions, um, of monotheism. And that was really what inspired me to come back here and yeah. to learn about the culture and the people. And that's kind of where I am now. Um, and I want to keep educating people about Israel and trying to help engage them in a conversation that's fruitful and you know, progressive towards trying to change paradigm shifts in our minds and, you know, move towards peace uh, in the Middle East, kind of. Yeah, I fully agree with you one thing, like, how do I say it? Israel is pretty small, but the content in terms of history or even number of places to see, it just never ends. For instance, even in Jerusalem, even if one keeps traveling every day in Jerusalem, there's always something else to find out, even within the one city of Jerusalem. Uh, would you agree with oh, that? 100%. And what's your take? I mean, every time I go, you know, I can go to a historical or archaeological site a million times and always, you know, find another layer to look at and to understand. Um, there's just so so many complexities here and so many levels of humanity and civilization that you know span throughout time and history um it's amazing if you can go into you know let's say uh caesarea or even as you were saying jerusalem and you look at the architecture you can see okay this is from the byzantine period and these are columns that were reused by the crusaders that were originally made during the Roman period. And those are based off materials that they took from the Greeks. And then if you look, you know, more, there's Egyptian artifacts that come out and, oh, here's Napoleon. So there's so many levels and layers of history upon history that even one, you know, historic archeological site can tell you a different story every single time you visit, depending on what lens you want to look at. So. 
and your house oh, no, right I was now. Just it's yeah, the same time. Really, you know, there's so many sites. Even though Israel's, you know, the size of New Jersey, you can never really see it all. Of if you're trying to look at the same la- levels and yeah. layers. Yes, yeah, so I was saying that even your house right now is right next to one of the oldest Absolutely. cities in the world, Jaffa. Uh, and I guess you might be visiting it a lot. And yeah, no, I definitely I miss Jaffa, but that's another amazing example of so much history cradled in one little corner of uh, Tel Aviv. Of you know, you have um, Egyptian artifacts that tell that. There were Egyptians there. Um, there's also, you know, Napoleon left his mark there. Um, you have St. Peter's Church, where St. Peter had his vision and uh, realized that he can <clears throat> realize that he wants to expand expand Christianity to uh, also the pagans at the time, which was a huge split between Judaism and Christianity. Um, it, you just have so much the Turks that were there. Uh, you know, under the Ottoman Empire, it's just it's just unbelievable. Uh, I love visiting there because, as you just said, you can visit a place a thousand times and um, always find something new to look at. So, Sarah, and you also mentioned like your father was in the military and he traveled the world a lot. So, was this after you were born? Any time that? went abroad for a long duration yeah no he um he actually went into the reserves when i was born um but while my mother was pregnant with me he was actually in uh bahrain and during the uh desert storm crisis but after that he you know went into the reserves and was always home with us but hearing his stories as a child of all of his travels was something that really inspired me So your father was right in Operation Desert Storm in Iraq? He was involved in Operation Desert Storm, um, but he was actually stationed, he was going into Saudi Arabia and back, but he would be staying in Bahrain, mostly. Uh, so right now... Oh, he was yeah, just positioned in Bahrain, but he was mostly working inside Saudi Arabia, just keeping the peace, and it was during, it was in part of Operation Desert Storm which obviously was with Iraq, but it, w- it was um, a side mission, you can say, adjacent to. So, mm-hmm. yeah, right next to that state of Iraq. So when you came to Israel, and do you go back home once in a while, once in a year, or your parents oh, come to visit parents Israel only, a lot? Uh, visited me in Israel once, although they loved it. They just really don't like the, um, the long flight. Um, I visit my parents probably around once or twice a year. Um, Last year, I was actually lucky, or last summer rather, I was working um, with the Israeli mission to the United Nations in New York um, and was able to visit my parents quite frequently during that time period. Um, But it is quite difficult. We talk a lot, uh, definitely also with this coronavirus, I think we've been talking the most out of anyone, uh, or the most we have, you know, grown up. Uh, we've definitely become a lot closer, yeah. although the conversations are a bit more dull. There's not much new exchange. So, when 
There's not much news to exchange nowadays. Yeah, because all the news, it's like yeah. Corona, 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 Corona. It's like how many it's people funny. affected, how many this. To be honest, I stopped reading the newspaper already. I just see the stats and that's it. Yeah. Because it's already no, my thing enough. Is, you know, it's amazing. The whole world seems to have shut down. There's no other news except for uh, Corona news. Yeah, true. In that way, it's good too. And like in case of India, where I'm stationed, India is like a very polluted country in many ways. Right now, we have like one of the best air quality. You can literally see the stars and the pollution has come down. So you can feel the air so much. Yeah. So there's there's one benefit. But me. Of, uh, the yeah. So yeah, but it's like it's um. How do I say it? It's a consequence yeah. of low economic activities. So, Everything yeah, is a uh, so yeah. Yeah, here in Israel too, the yeah. uh, the sea turtles have been enjoying this. Of you know, right now is the period where um, the sea turtles come onto the land to lay their eggs, and unfortunately, a lot of the time, the eggs are uh, accidentally crushed by tourists and people going to the beach and who are unaware. So that's one positive uh, side effect of this whole Corona catastrophe is that I guess some of the nature is coming back. We actually now have jackals rent, uh, entering Tel Aviv. They're generally more in the suburbs, but uh, they're coming back. And also in Haifa, we have a huge problem. It's been ongoing, but the Corona has only expedited it. They, um, it's now illegal to hunt uh, the boars, the wild boars. So now the the streets of Haifa are actually getting overrun by these wild pigs um, going through the track and everything. So they used to live in the common yeah, mountains? Yeah, they lived in the purple mountains naturally pigs? and um, Israel used to cull the population to um, you know, keep the numbers in check. However, there's no natural predators for them anymore, so they needed the culling but now that is... Um, forbidden and also with less people out on the roads and on the streets they're becoming more bold and heading into more uh, suburban areas and they're looking for food which you know our trash cans and no humans around are providing quite a quite a meal for them I'm happy attacked any humans or kids or anything. No, or thankfully not. There has been some, you know, scares with uh, smaller what? dogs. But other than that, there hasn't been really any incidents other than just they're kind of a pest. Uh, there's some videos of them before the outbreak of where they stopped traffic. There was like six of them in the road and they're pretty big. So no cars could get around. Um, but other than that, it's just more of a nuisance, thankfully. And so going back to your work with the UN for mm -hmm. representing, representing Israel, how was it and yeah, what absolutely. was it all about? It was about? Um, an amazing like experience. I was working with the second committee, which is for economic and social development. Um, basically, what we did is that instead of the classic um, arguments that you hear of, okay, Israel against all of the UN and anti-Semitism and 
trying to justify or uh, bash Israel or talk about the Palestinians, um, my department, my committee worked on another angle of economic and social development of instead of focusing on this whole um, controversy and chaos, we focused on what Israel can help and contribute to the world's economic and social development and growth, meaning, you know, how many vaccines Israel produces, um, trying to share some of the innovations that Israel created um, regarding, you know, water supply, how to desalinate water, drip irrigation, um, and trying to come at it from that area of what can Israel actually provide to the world and what expertise Israel can share to help the entire global community um, develop and, you know, in line with the sustainable development goals. Um, and thankfully, Israel really does have a lot of innovation and a lot of uh, great technologies that are coming out that can help the planet and humanity. Um, so that was kind of our angle that we focused on. And, you know, it goes back to the idea of you can't really, you can yell about anti-Semitism in Israel and Palestine all you want. Um, people's minds, unfortunately, are kind of fixed. What we can do is try to get out of that argument and let's focus on the positives and what we can do together and what Israel can help do. Um, and that was, that was basically the majority of my job. So does Israel cooperate with its Arab neighbors, of course, mm -hmm. such as Jordan and Egypt? Uh, regarding, regarding what, I'm sorry? Others? Regarding transfer of technologies and vaccines and all this, does Israel have um, cooperation Israel with Jordan? Israel has cooperation with both. However, it's very muted um, because if one country comes out too strong aligning with Israel, um, it creates friction within the Arab world and also Jordan has a large Palestinian population within it so it doesn't want to rock the boat too much however uh, there is a lot of coordination and cooperation such as Israel um, provides a substantial amount of water to Jordan every year as well as Egypt um, health uh, vaccines as well as different patents have been shared as I mentioned before Israel's uh, one of Israel's companies that produces ventilators released its patent free of charge so that um, any nation around the world, any company can actually use that patent for free to start producing uh, ventilators. Um, so there is some cooperation. There's also more cooperation. Uh, for example, there's a, Israel has an, um, a global assistance program called Mashav that was started by Golda Meir. And it works by Israel doesn't give aid directly, such as, you know, financial aid. Israel's a small country and not that rich uh, to be just giving out millions of dollars uh, like the U.S. can to help other countries. But what Israel can do is share its expertise in how Israel within, you know, 70 years went from a developing country to a developed country, one of the most developed in the world, such as sharing, you know, uh, resource management techniques, uh, how to agriculture, how to grow um, agriculture in a pr productive and also responsible manner. Um, and Israel does this with over 184 countries, the majority of whom have no diplomatic ties with Israel. Um, but the hope is that, you know, it's not about 
this country, like my country in politics, it's more about helping uh, common man. And also if you help people and farmers develop themselves and you know develop their own communities and neighborhoods, um, eventually they'll become the leaders of those countries. And maybe perhaps they'll share a more nuanced, enlightened, um, and you know, fair, fair, you know, view of Israel. View of. So, with all those countries with which Israel doesn't even have or maintain a diplomatic relations, so how do they go about this cooperation? Do they do it through the UN or? you know back channels as a lot of these countries don't want to openly admit that they're receiving aid from israel or any assistance um so it's done through a lot of one-on-one -on -one cooperation with uh on the local and individual level they also send um some people to israel actually every year to um participate in some programs that people receive training in how to um, manage resources and how to you know grow their economies or also in education how to facilitate you know a national education program in their local communities um, so a lot of it's done through back channels and a lot of it is not on the books officially but the these deals are being done So Sarah, right? Just, yes. Uh, no, just answer? that uh, it's kind of the it's the backroads way of peace was the idea of it, and that's also what Israel's trying to do. Mm. Like my job is basically we know that we're never going to really win over um, Iran, let's say. However, what we can do in the UN is that mm. there's a lot of countries, a lot of small developing countries, such as um, small island developing nations. Um, and a lot of small states that we can try to provide some assistance to help their population grow and help their country develop. And then therefore later on, um, these countries will maybe be more favorable or at least uh, balanced in their view of Israel at the UN when we pass resolutions. Um, and this has been effective. We were chaired, uh, picked to be chair of the uh, Science, Technology and Innovation Forum, which unfortunately was canceled this year. Um, and that was quite a feat just because generally if Israel's elected, hands go up in the air saying no automatically. Um, that was even a game, you know, and cer certain resolutions or negotiations I followed was um, knowing how to pick your battles because you know that if we reject something, if we raise our hand and say something, then other people are going to jump in the conversation. Um, so that was an interesting side of the work we got to see there and the, the tactics used. So I realized that you have studied about international relations, security, diplomacy, and all that in your college for your undergrad and your master's. And you also went ahead and worked with the UN. So do you have any future plans to go ahead and Maybe join the government sector, public policy sector, apart from your think tank. Um, like you said that you want I to would do, like to get involved again. It's just a very uh, thankless kind of job, to be honest. Of it sounds very cool and very important, and there is a lot that can be done. However, um, 
the salary is less than what can be lived on um, and there's not many benefits. For example, I was offered to stay um, on as a speechwriter there. However, the pay wasn't covering my rent for New York. So that was kind of my problem in it of I would love to be more involved and to stay in that sector. However, I need to do it in a way that I can financially maintain that. It's not that, you know, I want to be rich. I just need to be able to <laughs> sustain my life. <laughs> I need to live somewhere. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I need to, need to be able, able to, to you drive know, your car and live in your house. It's very important, but I need to also live on that. Um, yeah. So I, my, my goal is to eventually figure out yeah. how to do that. Um, so that would be it, you know, and also too right now, there's been a lot of... Um, a lot of upheaval in Israel, as you might have heard about our political situation of we haven't really had a stable government now in over a year. There's even talk of heading to our fourth election. Um, so that that also plays another factor, you know, plays a part in my decision of what's what segment of society I would like to be working in. And, uh, you know, it, it adds a lot of dis, uh, uncertainty in any position. Hmm. So, your father has visited a lot of these Middle Eastern countries, right? Apart from Saudi uh, Arabia and Bahrain. My has father, he visited well, other he countries was also? Mostly, uh, your father? he did his traveling was on an aircraft carrier. So, it wasn't that many um, Middle Eastern landlocked countries mm-hmm. uh, that he got to visit. However, he did get to visit Jordan. Uh, he visited Israel, obviously, with me. Uh, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, and I think he was in Egypt for a little bit, but the majority of his travel was, you know, in the Pacific um, on a U.S. naval aircraft carrier for a while, uh, traveling to Japan, Australia, Fiji, the Philippines, um, and those types of areas, but he definitely did like the Middle East. (laughs) So among all these Middle Eastern countries, which all I have not visited that many. I've only visited, um, I've visited Turkey, which I don't know if you count that Middle East or Europe. Uh, I've also visited the Sinai in Egypt, which was unbelievable, as well as Jordan. But I'm looking to expand my travels once all this mess is over. Um, but I think also too, it's interesting. A lot of Israelis. I'm so I have not traveled at all compared to many Israelis travel you know on the weekends almost to greece and italy and spain just because it's so close um i actually think a lot of israelis travel so much because of the feeling of isolation here not only right now in terms of corona but not being able to uh visit their neighbors next door in a lot of the situations such as you know you can't visit lebanon or syria uh, that feeling of isolation, I think, really drives them to try to travel more. And it'll be interesting after this whole uh, pandemic is over to see the travel rates uh, and to see how many people are going to just be flying all around the world as soon as this is over. I think travel is going to expand. If people have money, they'll continue to travel. Always. 
So my father works for the Department of Homeland Security now. Uh, it's funny, he's always had a federal or governmental job his whole life. Uh, but he um, actually right now is on a three-week vacation because he was working uh, towards the airport, like in proximity with the airport and other agencies. And because of his age, they decided to offer him paid vacation time until this crisis is over so thankfully he's doing quite well for himself right now besides the boredom yeah so could you share with us any of those interesting stories that you said your father told you while growing up from Saudi I only Arabia remember a few Barry? to be honest some you of the stories of were stories? Uh, you know funny of how all of a sudden, you know, he would be walking through the streets and in a shop, you know, looking at some goods to buy. And it'd be the time, you know, all of a sudden the call to prayer would start and he'd be kicked out of the shop. All the doors closed real quick. And you just see the man put down the mat and start praying. And he thought that was very surreal coming from, you know, a classic American upbringing where you don't really have any interaction, at least in Rhode Island with Islam or other religions. That was quite shocking for him to see that um, totally change life. All of a sudden, you know, in one moment, everyone came together. Uh, he was like, wow, we don't even have that much uh, cohesion when it comes to getting on, to church on Sunday. Um, so that was quite... Yeah, five times a day and all of a sudden everyone shut down and everyone was so he thought that was quite beautiful to see and that always really inspired me. I really hope to see that one day myself. Um, another, you know, just crazy stories of always following your instincts of if you feel something is off. He was once in a tuk-tuk in the Philippines and some guy was telling him the driver was talking about some Marine who was murdered and some, you know, other U.S. citizen and he's starting to get worried. He just did, he didn't have a good feeling and all of a sudden he just decided to lean out of the tuk-tuk while it was moving and it didn't run away. Or sorry, he didn't stop. You know, if it was a normal situation, the tuk-tuk would stop and say, why, why did you just jump out? Um, however, the guy just then sped off, meaning that there was probably something nefarious going on. You wouldn't just speed off if someone jumped out of your car. Um, yeah, jumper. Hey, at least you would come back and you'll ask him what happened. Why did he jump? Oh, uh, so that was you know just stories like that that always taught me trust your instinct, trust your instinct, if you feel something. You know, there's there's something to it. Um, so those are the kind of the two main stories I remember. But always just traveling and uh, you know the different types of people you meet and the experiences and the different cultures of even too. We always uh, really had a lot of tremendous respect for the Japanese and Asian cultures and love Singapore, how disciplined they were. He's like, wow, it's so lovely. It's so clean. Everyone's so respectful. They all walk lightly. Like he was amazed by that. And that, you know, always struck me too, of, you know, Eastern Asian culture is very uh, polite and very, um, I, I don't want to say reserved, but just, you know, very respectful of others. Which is funny comparing it to the Israeli culture that I fell in love with, which is 100% different uh, <laughs> in terms of politics. Yeah. It's on the face and bunt. 
and trust me i i personally prefer that because uh it made life so much easier it makes life easy when people are straight and exactly you you understand easy to not have to decipher what's going on you or what they feel there's no uh secret games or motivations behind what they're telling you it's always very direct for good or for bad hmm. yeah but at least it how do i say that makes yeah. life easy because there's already so much of th- so many things to process in the for brain and we yeah you don't have to process uh, that much a, a documentary so, about a holocaust survivor and she's israeli and she you know meets her other friend here who's israeli israeli and they haven't seen each other for like 10 years and they used to be best friends and the first thing she says to her is you need to go get a haircut it looks terrible on you after 10 years surviving the holocaust and everything and the first thing you tell the person is you got to get a haircut <laughs> that's very that, that's israel in a nutshell they'll tell you exactly <laughs> what they think when they think it uh but it's genuine at least mm mm true that's something i also deeply admire and appreciate because it's so genuine it's so genuine there's exactly. no the not exactly. none of the how do you Which say there's a bit of a hard facade. take but uh yeah. it, it's always you know that's... good intention i'd say or at mm. least i'd hope so and uh i you know I'd rather someone be frank and tell me my mm. hair looks ridiculous than me wearing it around for another <laughs> six months. Uh, you know, and even to it comes down to it of, you know, I'll be <laughs> watching, uh, you know, a friend's kid or something like that. And that there'll be an old lady out of nowhere that'll pop up and tell me that uh, it's too hot for the child to be outside and that she needs a hat. And it's just very direct, but it's also in that nature here of everyone mm. is each other's keeper. and they're going to tell you exactly what they think but they're also going to be thinking about you and how mm. how they can help you and what what's going on so pr- pros and cons yeah so when your father had all these experiences in saudi arabia and middle east are you exp- do you share your experiences in israel Did your father and uh? does your father like conquer ah expected or something like that oh yeah what? no we talk a lot about oh, nowadays uh, now because you have free time talking about the world uh and different things he uh has a deep respect for israel and the military here um and we talk about different things and oh okay that makes sense and, uh actually it was great during the degree program for security and diplomacy when we were studying war tactics and things like that we were able to really um engage in some some complex conversations about oh okay naval uh war theory versus air theory and things like that and regarding your general experiences like the ones you have had while living and traveling in Israel or in the Arab towns in Israel and those of your father when he was in Bahrain any time you um, shared anything and it came like much, oh to be honest, common oh uh, similar surprisingly enough uh not that much similar except for you know I think when I went to Sinai I was able to witness what he was talking about in Saudi Arabia of how all of a sudden it's prayer time you know close up shops for a few minutes and um come together lay down your mat 
So that was something he experienced. Um, and also to just the bazaars and the shooks. Uh, he's like, well, they had that, you know, in Bahrain too, but the fruit wasn't, there wasn't so much fruit and produce. It was more gold and things like that. Um, but other than that, no, we haven't really had too many shared experiences, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, also the Arab world is pretty diverse as well. No two places have mm-hmm. the same exact and even the dialect and the accent, it all changes. This is the cultural, culture also like, is not so homogeneous as we might like to believe. And yes, yeah, so, and when, have Where? you ever traveled to West Bank? Sorry? Uh, areas, the territories. Oh, I have traveled to there. the territories. Um, uh, Yehuda Shamron, uh, uh, West Bank, or Shem. Um, and I did a uh, educational, you know, visit where we toured uh, one of the camps there, and uh, the refugee camps that is, and we toured the local neighborhoods, and uh, we're given, you know, a little bit of their history and seeing how they live in their, um, their culture, which is very interesting. Um, I haven't gone as much as I would like, I have to admit, but that's also due to, um, my main travel partner here is Bar, my fiance, who is Israeli. So he's not allowed entrance, um, to any of the Palestinian controlled villages and towns in the West Bank. Um, so that's kind of put a damper on it. Although I do want to go. I'm just looking for someone who's willing and has a car. Um, <laughs> and is not an Israeli. It's not legally uh, <laughs> prohibited. Yeah. yeah, that makes it even more difficult. They need to have a car, even yeah. though they have to be from outside. Exactly. So, Although most of the car owners might well be Israelis. I was teaching last year in... Um, I was teaching English to uh, Israeli Arabs from the town of Tira, which is also part of the triangle um, in the north. And that was quite interesting of even though uh, I didn't leave the country, nothing really changed. There's no borders or checkpoints or anything like that. Uh, the neighborhoods 100% changed of now all the signs were in Arabic and English rather than Hebrew and English or all three. Um, so that was interesting to to work there and really get to know that community quite well. Uh, but even too, they have different things. Um, the family I was working for at the English house there is uh, they go into the West Bank quite frequently to buy supplies, but they actually will change their car um, to enter the territories just so that they don't stand out that much um, because their normal car is actually a Mercedes Benz. So. <laughs> They don't, they don't want to be driving around the West Bank with that kind of car, so they'll actually borrow one of their friends, uh, I don't want to say lesser vehicle, but less flashy uh, vehicle to go around, just not to draw attention or, you know, it doesn't look good to be going to the West Bank to get cheaper products when you're driving a nice car. Um, oh. Yeah, just you know, a little social sensitivity. <laughs> but, yeah, I get it. I get it. Even... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's also in a way polite. To see that they're ways. also a different community within is within the Palestinians themselves. You have Palestinians who are in Gaza, and that's a different whole section. And then Palestinians in the West Bank, that's a whole different segment. And then you have Palestinians 
who are in Israel, uh, Israeli passports, and, and their whole perspective on everything is uh, quite different. Even too with the the Trump peace plan proposal, uh, some of them were quite upset, saying that they don't, they wouldn't want to become citizen, like change their identity and lose their Israeli citizenship um, if that plan went through. Um, so they're they're also a whole different segment of society in the way that they think of how they're different than those in the West Bank, but they're also Palestinian and they're different than Israelis, but they are Israeli, and uh, it's a very complex identity I would say and much more so than one would just automatically assume it's one of those layers here as soon as you peel back one layer you get uh, a million more to unravel uh, and I would like to ask a question at this point like when we talk about this triangle why do we even re- why is it referred to as triangle in Israel and Palestine? Why uh, is this place referred to as on a map? I it doesn't look like a triangle, it does it? It's just something uh, the triangle of like the three main points in the within that area people tend to be of the um, you know tend to be of Palestinian identity or Arab identity rather. So I think it just got referred to it that way, but that is a really good point. I don't know why they called it the triangle. It's not exactly a triangle. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. It goes from north to south. Along the I don't green know. Line. Maybe originally it it resembled oh. a triangle, but then as demographics changed. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> but that's a good point. Yeah. So much history, so many layers. Mm. But so much history in Israel. Yeah. It's even this triangle thing is with just another layer of Israel, like you said. Every identity has layers, even yeah. Israel on a whole has so I'm many sure layers. Too, coming from so much India, Jody, and understand. Also have a million. You can teach me about diversity of a population. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this just so happens that it scares me so much, I just don't mm. pay attention. For instance, diversity in Israel can be, at least it can be analyzed or seen. India, it's like 1.4, 1.5 billion people. So diversity here, it's like, ah, it's <laughs> the last thing you want to study about because it's once you begin it, you can't end it. Uh, yeah, because you can go for a diversity in the city of Delhi or diversity in the city of Mumbai or something like that. <laughs> but diversity in India, it just like, ah, it, it'll begin, it'll never end. I'm pretty sure the British were happy to yes. call all of it by one oh, word, India. I don't even understand. Life easy for them. <laughs> Otherwise, if they had referred to each group, each community, then the list would have just gone on and on. And Make it easy. They said, okay, over, just uh, one thing, India. Great. Yeah. So, yeah. So right, right now, with all this going on after this right now, ends, what are your plans after the corona scare ends? Um, I do believe that Israel will be one of the first countries to get out of this, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, hopefully when this ends, I will continue um, trying to get involved with different uh, non-governmental organizations and think tanks here, um, as well as hopefully finding another 
uh, teaching position and um, pressing forward. I'm also starting to explore, you know, options in America of, um, you know, if perhaps the Israeli economy is tanked, although the American might not be much better, um, we're just trying to explore all options during this period. And it's hard trying to plan for a world we don't know what is going to look like or when are we going to see it in real life again. Well, then the one last question I have for you. Given that you are an American as well as an Israeli, how much uh, of each do you, uh, how do I say, identify wow, with? How much question. of you is an Israeli uh, and how much of you is an um, American? It really depends. I've, I've noticed during this Corona outbreak, uh, the news that I'm mostly focused on happens to be the Israeli news. Like when I wake up in the morning, I check what's going on in Israel first and I've been recently more involved with the Israeli politics compared to the American um, for whatever reason maybe I'm just here or also maybe I'm just so fed up with American politics <laughs> Israel offers a little bit of a break um, but I would say culturally I think I identify more as an Israeli However, at the end of the day, I'm still an American. No matter how Israeli I may feel, uh, my accent is still American. My language of choice is still English. Um, and, you know, I, my brother's in the U.S. Marine Corps, too, right now. And my father's a veteran. So I think I have to always, you know, say I feel American. I can't not say that. But also, too, living over here, my culture... Culturally, I've definitely become much more Israeli of the way I think, uh, the way I act. I'm a little bit more uh, direct than I used to be in America, and I notice that when I go back home, uh, especially in Rhode Island, where people are very, uh, I wouldn't say cold, but a little bit less warm and also less direct. Uh, when I come back, it's definitely a little bit of a culture shock to get back into that regard. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a mix. I don't really know where I belong. When I'm in America, I feel like I'm an Israeli. And when I'm in Israel, I feel like I'm an American. Uh, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's, wherever you, wherever I'm not, I yeah. just uh, identify with. Well, um... Exactly. Mm, it's more like the scarcity of one reminds you of exactly when one is away from something that you love you feel more connected to it i'd say always more american and yeah and exactly mm, the american flag is going to stay on the post for a long time i guess even though yes yes exactly but the house is israeli the house upon which the flag flies it's <laughs> uh, great. So well, <laughs> I was just saying it's funny how it works in our minds. What did you say, by the way? I didn't catch you. Yeah, and so uh, because you're both, 
you watch Israeli TV as well as the American TV, uh, as you said about the news. So when it comes to TV series, I, do you I watch the all the Israeli TV with, series as well, uh, which have made a big name like out there in the like world? Watch uh, Steisel and uh, Fauda, and there was a recent one, um, mm. Unorthodox, but that's more of it's not really Israeli; mm. it's more uh, Yiddish, I would say. Uh, they speak in Yiddish, not Hebrew, but the actress is uh, Israeli, mm. Shira Haas, so she did an amazing job. So I can count that as, as an Israeli, but uh, even to the show Rising Star to get into Eurovision, I like to watch here in Israel, different programs, but uh, I don't know. I think it just more helps with my Hebrew mm. and also be aware and be more aware of the culture mm. uh, and have you jokes. yeah go ahead I've... Mm. and the third season of Pauda have you already I've seen it or are you waiting although, like the rest uh, of us for April 16th it has 16? been a good excuse to rewatch the entire season again the entire you know two other yes it's amazing though like the I've first, seen it so many yeah. times but uh I'm Still doing again that again. It's so good. Such a dynamic show. Yeah. Yeah. They made it pretty well. Yes. They made it pretty well. They left very few yeah, reasons to complain. And so, uh, with our right podcast now, coming to an almost end, what are your movie Shrugs book suggestions? And highly recommend it because that is a big book. So, it'll give you, you know, quite solid chunk of time uh, to entertain yourself with. So definitely recommend Atlas Shrugged. Uh, movies. Um, definitely recommend Fauda watching that again. And um, I know it's very junky, but it is very entertaining. The Tiger King. Uh, oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's Terrible, terrible, hmm. terrible! TV. I haven't it's seen very it. trash, but it's like a car crash. Oh, just okay. away from. Okay. And it's very good for when you just want something to dull your mind for a few minutes during the day. <laughs> so definitely recommend that. And uh, yeah, Fauda is basically hmm. that. Oh, Shystel is also very good on Netflix. It's about uh, an Israeli ultra orthodox community, hmm. and uh, it's kind of just drama. In that but it's very well done and very unique mm -hmm. um, and the acting involved is very very sophisticated and in depth and also to the topics that they're dealing with uh, and how they're trying to get into that culture of the ultra orthodox society which most people never get a glimpse into um, is very interesting to see and they did it in a very tasteful and artful way that's about it for me that's what my plans are <laughs> it might mm. no no that's it <laughs> well that was pretty great yeah saying something as well stay home stay okay. safe and, well uh, is there anything else you want to tell to our audience we will all be anything? out of soon and we can do something else than just talking over phone we can meet in person either in India Israel or uh, wherever US maybe who knows <laughs> yeah yeah U.S. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well. And hopefully the listeners. Well, so yeah, same here. Mm. 
and thank you so much for your time and for talking to all, all our audiences and thank you so much for talking to me and i learned a lot and i hope our audiences had a great time and they got a feast of information and knowledge about israel and the middle east and about you and your life and i hope we get to let's talk work, again on great. another episode as well sometime in the future when things have changed and the corona is gone well thank you very much bye bye yeah well then